0: Hi, this is Philip Holland, host of Hope for the Day. I'm so excited that you are listening and you have this to look forward to from today's message. You are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If you wanna take that stand, you gotta have God's armor. When temptation is killing you, when your emotions are just a train wreck, when you might describe your life like a car that's just out of control on a road, that can't get traction, it's swerving, and you're just trying not to go off the cliff. He's saying, put on the armor of God. Welcome to Hope for the Day with Pastor Philip Holland. In this series, Pastor Philip will be teaching us that the world we live in is not a playground, but it is a battleground. That battle does not take place against forces we can see, but with forces that are unseen. As we become more in tune with this battle, we will understand how spiritual warfare impacts our soul, family, church, and culture. Most importantly, we will learn how to claim the victory that God has already won for us in Jesus. Please enjoy the message. Now, as we can wrap this series up, a story came to mind. Uh, from 1367, it was of a father who was standing over a grave, and unfortunately, he was bearing a child of his. But surprisingly, as he buried this child, there were no tears that he was shedding, because this was actually the fifth child of his that he was bearing. And in this particular situation, he had shed all the tears that he could cry for his wife and for his children, much like many of his friends, his neighbors and others from the city in which he lived. Because at this particular time, there is what we know of today as the bubonic plague that was spreading throughout the known world. It would ultimately take 40 to 60% of the world's population to the grave. And there really wasn't anything that the people in this time knew to do about it because they didn't fully understand this disease that was taking hold, this virus that was spreading throughout the entire world that was taking so many people, again, to the grave. There was some odd speculation as far as what it was that was causing this, exact, was causing this plague. You know, for example, in the Institute of Paris, some of the greatest minds of this particular day thought that perhaps there was an odd alignment of Venus, Mars, and Jupiter that had expelled some poisonous air, which had then come to Earth and had settled here, causing miasma. Now that was a rather sophisticated opinion of why it was that there was a black plague that was taking place, but there was also an earthquake in Italy. And the theory was is that perhaps maybe through an earthquake in Italy, there's some gases that again had been emitted and had began to poison people. But there was a feeling that maybe there was just bad air that was causing this problem that was consuming so many lives. And it started in Central Asia and then eventually, through a merchant ship, it made its way to Italy and through these little fleas that nobody really understood at this time, this virus spread. And it was far, far before, this was significantly before germ theory became known, and we began to realize that there are these little critters crawling around on us, and there's all sorts of bacteria, some of it good and obviously some of it bad, that we couldn't see. They just didn't understand. And so as a result of that, there were some responses that, were actual, that actually made the situation worse. There was <clears throat> teaching that you should avoid bathing in this particular day because the bathing was thought to open the spores, uh, pores in your body, and then thus making you more susceptible to infection. <clears throat> there was also teaching from doctors that would tell you to drain the ulcers that were growing around people's lymph nodes and while that wouldn't necessarily make things easier the thought was it would at least relieve some of the pain as they were passing away but it actually made it worse because it increased the infection and then they would often add very potent smells and homes because again if you think you got bad air that's causing your problem maybe good air will make it better but all that did is it made it very difficult it made it more difficult for people to breathe who are in this condition and would often take their lives even sooner even though they only live 24 to 72 hours at the most and here's my point if you don't understand your enemy especially one that you can't see you aren't going to know how to respond to it or to him and in this series that's what we're talking about we're talking about this enemy that we all have And some of us, unfortunately, I'd probably venture to say all of us, forget about who our real enemy is. And we often think that our enemy is somebody who isn't. You know, for example, you might think your enemy is Joe Biden (laughs) or maybe Nancy Pelosi or Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump or maybe it's a Democrat or maybe it's a Republican Or moving beyond the political sphere, maybe it's economic and it's the rich that are the problem. Or maybe it's the poor that are the problem. Or maybe it's the drug addicted that are the problem. Or maybe it's a felon that's a problem. Or maybe it's a teacher that's a problem. Or maybe it's a a bully at school that's a problem. Or maybe it's a parent of a kid who you are teaching that is the problem. Or maybe it's the police or the judicial system or the BLM or the KKK, Muslims, Jews, Mormons, atheists, and your employer or perhaps it's an employee who is your enemy. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a wife, perhaps it's even a husband. Often we can lose sight of who the enemy really is, but when it comes to biblically speaking who the enemy is, there is absolute clarity around it. It's not your husband and your wife. They aren't the problem. You come together to address and attack the problem. Satan is the enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Because if you are not alert and you don't have a sober mind, then you're at the whim of your emotions. And your emotions will tell you that the person you're sleeping next to, the child that's down the hallway, maybe it's an ex who you're trying to sort out issues with, Maybe it's your former boss. Maybe it's your current boss. Maybe it's the employee again. Whoever, you're going to think that they're the enemy unless you have a sober mind and you realize that there's a spirit behind them that is the true enemy. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone. Often it's the one that has isolated themselves. Not to help, not to encourage, not to lift up, but to devour, to destroy The Bible calls him the great accuser. And he will continue to accuse you and devour you you and destroy you as much as you allow him to. Because in Jesus, if you are in Jesus, there is victory. That through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that the war has actually been won. And the main idea for what we're getting at today and how it is that we live from this is this is that in Christ, we do not fight for victory, we live from victory. In Christ, we do not fight for victory, we live from victory. And that is very clear, that is, the Bible is very clear as to what it teaches as it relates to that. But how exactly do we do that, and why is it that we deal with so much that we deal with? Well, I shared this with you a few weeks ago, but I'm going to share it with you again. When the Civil War ended with Robert E. Lee's surrender, there were still battles taking place. For six months afterwards and there were two reasons why they were continuing to take place. One was because of a lack of communication and the other reason was simply a stubbornness of those who still wanted to fight. And that is absolutely what you deal with with the devil. The war may be won but there is still a battle that is taking place and he is way too stubborn to surrender. it seems like that was a long time ago. You're not talking about six months. You're talking about 2,000 years. And I, compl- I understand that you're coming from it from that perspective because we look at it awfully from a world, often from a world perspective. But from an eternal sp- perspective, a day is like 1,000 years. From, eterni- from eternity's perspective, it's only been two days. And so there's going to be battles that are going to continually be fought. But the Bible also tells us that God is not slow in keeping his promises, but he doesn't want anyone to perish And just think about it. When the war was over, if the war was really over, you wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. And so even though the war has been won, there's still battles being fought, but there are still people embracing and accepting the love that is in Christ. And what is that love? Well, look at Colossians chapter 2, and this points to where the victory is also. That when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. When you didn't have hope, he made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Have you ever, and you don't have to raise your hand here, but have you ever received a bill you couldn't pay? It was a medical bill. It was a credit card bill. Maybe it was a mechanic's bill. When I was a kid, my, my, my mother received a bill from a mechanic that she couldn't pay, unfortunately. And sadly, we it actually got to the point where we had to lose the car that she had because she just couldn't pay the bill. But wouldn't it have been amazing if somebody was stepped in and paid that bill? And maybe some of you have had that happen to you in your life where somebody steps in and pays a bill for you that you couldn't pay, or you maybe you did that for somebody else. I know that that has happened. Some of you stepped in to help somebody out in a way they couldn't help themselves. That is what Jesus has done for us, that there was an indebtedness that essentially made us a disciple of of Satan, essentially made us be at his whim, but because of Jesus paying that debt for us, being clothed by his righteousness, then we get to experience victory in him. Having nailed all of that indebtedness to the cross and having disarmed, and this is why I'm reading this scripture to you, The powers and authorities. And that disarmament is essentially what happens when there is a surrender. Whenever there is a victory that happens, you go to the enemy and you take away their weapons. And he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In Roman times of first century, you always made a spectacle of the enemy that you conquered. And what that meant was, is that you would come into your city of Rome as the conquering hero on your chariot with those who had fought with you in battle beside you, which is essentially the position that each and every one of us takes. And then behind and then between us would have been those that have been made a spectacle of. It's It's the people that have been conquered in chains and they're being paraded through the city and what Paul is teaching us here is that they didn't Satan didn't expect it he didn't see it coming but then Jesus died he was buried he rose from the grave and then he realized that the war was over but there are still these battles that are being fought and as a result of that war being won we are then clothed with Christ because our indebtedness is gone Galatians 3 27 for all of you who are baptized in Christ have been clothed with Christ and this is important Because the Bible teaches us that you have authority to disarm. You have authority against the powers and against these authorities and against these principalities. You have authority against them, but you really don't, and I really don't. It's really Christ who gives us authority. And when we are clothed with Christ, then we have authority against those things. It's like if you come to a traffic intersection and you see a police officer there. You stop because you see this police officer. Now, why do you know that it's a police officer? It's not because they're wearing clothes like you have on or I have on. You know it's a police officer because they have a vest that says police. They have a uniform. They have a firearm. They often will have a baton of some kind directing traffic. If you ignore that person who has authority in that situation, you drive right by them, you're going to get a ticket. You're going to get in trouble. You submit to that authority that is there because of how they are clothed. And the Bible says that you have been clothed in Christ, and you have authority. And we often, unfortunately, don't realize that. We often are scared. We often are on the defensive of the busyness of our lives, the bad news that we receive, the bad news that we hear, what it is that our spouse tells us, our kid tells us, the doctor tells us, our neighbor has have going on, whatever it is, we're scared, and we're on the defensive. But that is not what the Bible teaches. That we are not meant to be on the defensive, we're meant to be on the offensive. Do you know what Jesus said about the church? He said about you, because you're the church. We're the body of Christ. You know what he said? He said the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now I don't know how your gates work, but my gate stays in place. And that gate that stays in place, you know what else it does? It protects our family because it's kind of keep things out. In some, and definitely keep things in too. I'm trying to keep my kids in because they are everywhere. I'm trying to keep those kids in that, in that backyard. But the point is, is it's something that's a defensive mechanism that you put in place to protect you. He didn't say, man, the gates of the church are going to prevail. He said, no, no, the church is going to take down that gate that the gates of Hades won't prevail. In other words, when we are functioning as we ought to, clothed in Christ, and as we're going to talk about having the spirit and the armor of God upon us, then you are on the offensive now. That you're not joyless, you're filled with joy, that you're not scared, that you are bold, you realize you've not been given a spirit of timidity, but one of power, and you're going after that gate to take it down, not literally, but spiritually. Sometimes in your own life, Definitely, hopefully, in the lives and the community of others around you. And so what is the deal with this armor of God that we're called to put on? That is what you need, even though the war has been won, the battles that you face day in and day out, you need the armor of God. So why do we need that armor, and what is it? That's what we're going to hit on now as we get into Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. This is what it says there. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. But who are you supposed to be strong in? The Lord, yes, that's our audience participation, part of our program. Yes, the Lord, yes, that's who you're strong in. You're not strong in you, in your own discipline, in your own positive attitude, all that stuff is great. You should have those things, those are great qualities. Um, We try to hire people with those qualities, actually, if you wanna apply for a couple jobs. But anyway, uh, (laughs) you are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Thank you for tuning in to Hope for the Day. I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I know that it has been to others. You see, it is through the generous contributions of people like you that this ministry can thrive and get God's truth out into the world. I recently received a card from someone who said, thank you for these messages on Hope for the Day. They are encouraging and refreshing as we get the opportunity to hear biblically-centered teaching that continually points people to Christ. And that is just one of several notes that we have received of those who appreciate the teaching here at Hope for the Day. If you want to take that stand, you got to have God's armor. When temptation is killing you, literally, like literally temptation kills you by succumbing to those addictions. When your emotions are just a train wreck. When, if you could describe your life to somebody around you, maybe you should do that sometime. Just ask them, how would you describe my life? See what they say. When you might describe your life like a car that's just out of control on a road, it can't get traction, it's swerving, and you're just trying not to go off the cliff. He's saying, put on the armor of God so that you can stop swerving and actually take a stand. So, why do you put on the armor of God? Why do you need these spiritual weapons? Well, number one is this that we need spiritual weapons to hold ground that Jesus has won for us. In other words, the wars won, there's still battles being fought, but we can hold our ground when we have this armor on. Hypothetically speaking, let me explain what this means. Hypothetically speaking, the Broncos of Denver, Colorado are up 50 to nothing (laughs) in the fourth quarter. Yeah, they just scored like 12 points in their last game. They're not going to be up 50 to nothing on anybody, but they're up 50 to nothing, five minutes to go in the game. At that point in the game, You're just trying to hold the ground, take the stand. You don't want to give up more points. It is almost a mathematical impossibility that they lose the game, aside from just giving the ball to the other team. You are not going to lose the game if you're by that many points at that point in the game. It's just not going to happen, but you're trying not to give up ground. And the spiritual armor of God helps you to take a stand to not give up more ground to the devil. The second thing that the spiritual armor of God does for us and why we need it is it helps us to fight spiritual battles. In verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against your wife or your husband or some political party or people of different social economic status than you or whatever perspective you might have. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and authorities. And it's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, you and I have a very spiritual problem, and that requires a spiritual solution. It's like what most of us, or what all of us, experience every single winter. We go out to our driveway at some point in time, and there's 6 to 12 inches of snow there. You have a When that happens, you have a snow problem. Now, I don't know how you feel. I'm sure you're much more motivated than I am, but sometimes I don't feel like shoveling that. I look at it and I'm just like, and I just drive right over it and drive on to what I do, whatever it is that I do. Now you probably know what happens. That that snow that I just drove over turns into ice, and that ice will stay there. It will not, especially if you have a north-facing house like we do, it will stay there for literally weeks or even months at times because it just doesn't get warm enough to melt it. And the ice is just there and kids are falling on it and I'm falling on it. And then inevitably I have to go out there with a shovel and start banging at it to try to break it up and get it off of my driveway. But that's because I have approached the snow problem with some other type of solution. If you've got a snow problem, you need a snow solution, which is a snow shovel, generally, that you take to it. Here's what I'm getting at. If you've got a spiritual problem, you've got to go at it with a spiritual solution, which is the armor of God. And so we're going to get into what exactly each and every one of those aspects of the armor of God are, and you're going to look at them and think, ah, they all kind of sound the same. It doesn't really seem all that important, all that impactful. And I get it. It won't until you're swerving on the road and you're about to go off the edge, metaphorically speaking. And so our text goes on. Our text there goes on, verse 13 but before we get to 13 the third point is this is that we need spiritual weapons when the worst of life comes our way the worst of life it's when the doctor doesn't have a good prognosis it's when you are standing over top of some tear stained divorce papers with a hand that is shaking and you don't know how you're going to put your name on that piece of paper but you know you have to it's when you go to a funeral home and you're staring at a casket, not that is seven or eight feet long of someone that's lived this long, glorious 95 year old life. Instead, it's the casket of a little child that maybe only lived a few days or a few weeks. Whenever the days of evil come, you're going to need the armor of God. Verse 13 says, therefore put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground because whenever you deal with the days of evil, those days are bad and they will rock you to the ground. And what Paul is saying here is that you don't have to go to the psychiatrist. You don't have to run off to the counselor that maybe there's going to be problems that the doctor just can't fix. And there might be some help in those spaces. I'm not saying that there isn't, but when you have a major spiritual problem, he's saying, if you want to stand, you're going to need this armor. And so what is it? What is the armor of God? Well, verse 14, we start breaking it down. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now the belt of truth is essentially God's truth. That is what the belt of truth is. It's God's truth. Again, he is using language of the first century that these people would have recognized. They'd all seen Roman soldiers. Well, unfortunately, we have to bring today's message to a close. But my hope is that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to you. That's always our hope here at Hope for the Day. Did you know that these messages are recorded at Valley View Christian Church every Sunday?